Praise the Lord. The Lord is good all the time, and his mercy endures forever. Like his mercy actually goes beyond the realm of time into eternity, but it penetrates, pokes a hole through into the realm of time. There's something about the mercy of God because the mercy of God can get where you sometimes can't get. You know, like you're trying to do it, you're trying to make it happen, uh, and you mess up and you make mistakes and uh, maybe you have failure or maybe, you, maybe you're better than that. Maybe you don't mess up. Well, what's cool about this is the mercy of God is available to people that never mess up. You'll have mercy on your pride if you humble yourself. Brother, Brother Hagin used to always say, you know, I'm going to do an altar call for liars, you know. Don't everybody raise your hand at once. Praise the Lord. Well, um, I don't know if you can leave the graphic up if you want. We're going to be talking about the confession of our faith today. And uh, it ties right in with confessing who we are in Christ, that we've been engrafted into Christ. Um, but I want to start with Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Smith Wigglesworth said, you know, any man can be changed by faith no matter, I'm putting it in modern terms, no matter how he may be bound. That faith is the answer to your problem. Well, Smith Wigglesworth was an amazing man, but he was nothing compared to Christ. And Jesus said, you know, answering the disciples' uh, bewilderment at the dried up fig tree. He said, you know, they're like, Master, look, the tree that you spoke to, it's withered up from the roots. I don't know how they knew that. If it was like more withered at the bottom than the top, or if it was like, I just don't know. That's just, anyhow, what I'm trying to say is it's good to think. T.L. Osborne always said, he said, some of the hardest work in the world is thinking. Don't be afraid to think. You have the mind of Christ. Don't be afraid to think. And sometimes people of faith say, well, like, anything of the mind is bad. No, anything of the unrenewed mind, right? But as soon as your mind is renewed, it's transformed. It's actually changed in those areas where you have renewed your mind. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, you know, verse 2, be transformed, metamorphosized really, by the renewing of your mind. Well, why would that, why would that be transformed? Because that's talking to someone that has already become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Look, everything is now brand new. He's writing that to that type of a being. That type of individual. Why? Well, because if we don't renew our minds after we've been recreated on the inside, we can be the most miserable of all creatures. We can be a creature who has God living on the inside, desiring to manifest, desiring to show, desiring to bless, but we actually put a, a lock on him because we're not acting based on who we are in Christ, but we're acting based on our mind that is unrenewed. And so if your mind is renewed, then when a situation comes up, all of a sudden, your, mind, your spirit 
through your renewed mind will dominate the situation. It will dominate your response. It will dominate your body. It will dominate your, your emotions. You'll say, yeah, all this is going on, but God. Why? Because your mind is renewed. Well, if your mind's not renewed, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is you're going to have tension going on on the inside. And the tension that you're going to have going on on the inside is you're going to have on the inside the Spirit of God. If you try to do something outside the Word, the Spirit of God's not going with that. doesn't mean He's jumping outside of you, but all of a sudden you put Him in sort of a dormant position. In other words, He's not living through you. He may be in you, but He's not able to express Himself through you because He can only express the Word. And when you renew your mind with the word, then all of a sudden your mind through your spirit, your spirit rather through your mind dominates your actions, even your lips and your, your, your tongue, what you say. So now the spirit himself can manifest because he manifests the word. Like Jesus said, when he has come, he is not going to say anything that I didn't say to you that I don't say, and he's not going to say anything that the Father himself doesn't say. Why? He said, he will not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, that's what he's going to say. So he can't say anything outside the words. So if you're not being transformed by the word, your mind's not being transformed, what's going to happen? Well, we are a spirit. We have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and we live in a body. But you know, as much as we separate all these things to understand and to study, they all work together, right? So if you're going to speak something, it's going to come through your mind unless you're speaking in other tongues or divine utterance, you know, prophecy. Why? Because that is the utterance is given by the Spirit, but you do the speaking. It says your mind is what? Unfruitful. So it's the one situation where you can kind of bypass your mind. Right? And you're speaking the things that God gives. So it's important that we are changed, which is not the right word, but we are become completely different by the renewing of our mind. So... In any area where you may look at your own life, you shouldn't maybe look at the life of others <laughs> and direct them this way, but if you look at your own life and you can say, you know, I don't like how that is. I don't like that I do that. Well, we ought to, that ought to be the first indication our mind is not renewed in that area. Even if our mind thinks, yeah, I know that. But we're to say, oh, wait a minute. No, I don't know it. And the Bible actually says, I didn't look up the verse for the message, but you know, there's a scripture there in the New Testament that actually says, you don't begin to know anything until you realize how little of it you know. Like People think that's like a proverb, uh, you know, maybe a Confucius proverb or something like that, but no, that's Bible. That's inspired by the Spirit of God. So if you feel like you know it, that's an indication you don't know it. It's kind of like, well, I can speak uh, from personal experience uh, being a male and being a kind of a tech person. It's kind of like if you get into something in technology and all of a sudden you're kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, 
that's cool. I know how all that works. And then if you actually start to get into that career field or you actually start to do research on that, you'll look and you'll be like, oh, well, I only know about like half what I thought I knew. And then you look into it a little further and you're like, well, I only know like a quarter of what I thought I knew. And you get a little further, you're like, I know nothing. <laughs> right? P.C. Nelson, who uh, Dad Hagen used to, you know, go to his meetings and grew a lot from reading some of his books, you know, he could speak and write, speak fluently and write 32 languages. And one of the, one of uh, Dad Hagen's ministry friends asked him one time when they were having dinner after a service, said, um, Brother Hagen was there to hear it, and said, how many languages do you speak? Do you know? How many languages do you know? Thank you. And, um, and uh, P.C. Nelson said, he said, not any yet. So the guy was quick and rephrased his question, how many languages can you write and speak? And he said, 32. <laughs> well, if you've studied language, and language is a very interesting thing to study. I didn't like to do it in high school, but I love it now. Um, high school, college time frame. But uh, languages have so much depth, and there's so much in them. And actually, I have this... Uh, Oxford English Dictionary. It's like an 18 or 19 volume dictionary it used to be. And uh, now all that stuff is kind of going online because they add to it every year. This is the English Dictionary, Oxford English. So it's evolving and changing all the time. It's always growing. And so um, the best thing we can do is say, you know, I have determined among men to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified because uh, when it comes to the things of God because as soon as you know it you have kind of like shut yourself off from the Lord even being able to tell you something about it because you're like oh yeah yeah I know that I know that I know that he said he'll sit there and smile you do <laughs> like when my kids tell me daddy I know that I'm like you do you sure yeah yeah, yeah. there might be something you don't know it's possible Let's read Mark 11, uh, 22. Have, Jesus said, answered their question and said, have faith in God. Or my margin, the margin of my Bible says, have the faith of God. In other words, that's what we are to have. Jesus told us to do it. He said, you want to see something that goes beyond what is naturally possible? You want to see miracles? You want to see changes that the world cannot bring you? He said, lay hold on God's faithfulness, one translation said. Or have, possess, own it, the faith of God. Faithfulness, faith, or love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faith, or faithfulness. It's a fruit of the recreated human spirit. Well, where does that fruit come from? Uh, that recreated fruit come from? That comes from God. So what kind of faith is that? It sounds like the same thing Jesus is talking about. It's the very faith of God. But you can have the very faith of God and not act on that faith. You can act on natural human faith. And you'll get natural human results. But Jesus said, if you want, if this makes you marvel, well, lay hold on the faith of God or use the faith of God. For verily I say to you, Whosoever will say to this mountain. In other words, verily is like an old English word. You could equate it to when you go to court now and say, I swear to tell the truth, 
the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Right? All the, all the politics that goes on in this town, and they're always having like uh, congressional hearings and all that type of stuff. But what's one of the things that's very significant for the congressional hearings or what these politicians are talking about? What do they all want? Or what do they news commentators say about it? Did they say it under oath? Right? There's another scripture that says, let your yes yet be yes and your no, no, or you'll be condemned, right? So, I mean, we're not supposed to have one answer under oath and another answer not under oath, but apparently some people do. At any rate, this is the emphasis that Jesus is giving to his statement. He's saying, and isn't that funny? Jesus is saying, honestly, I'm telling you. <laughs> Thank you for being honest, Jesus. No, he's saying, like, this is a very serious statement, this is not like in, the, in, in, in the, the natural world, apart from God, people just say stuff. And I have now come into this natural world where people just say stuff. But I'm telling you, this is solid. This is important. Whoever will say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and will not or shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that the things that he says will come to pass, he'll have whatever God says. That's not what that says. He'll have whatever he says. In other words, you're not going to have what God says his will is for you if you're not saying it. Well, how do you say that? Well, Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed by the renewing of your mind. Interesting, like, I, I always most of the time look at that as like, I'm going to change like my personality or I'm going to change how I interact and all these type of things. But you realize it'll change your situations because you allow God to function in your situations. Remember we did that whole long series on confession? This, that is faith builds the road, or excuse me, confession. That's funny. Maybe I need to do this series again for myself. <laughs> confession builds the road over which faith carries its mighty cargo. In other words, the cargo of faith is mighty. And the cargo of faith, in other words, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What can you hope for? How big is your hope? What, can, what could hope? What could you hope for? Well, if you can hope for it, and it's based on the word of God, you can have it by faith. It can become substance. I don't care how big your, your I was going to say your little mind, but I don't care how big your brain tells you it's too big and it can't happen. What the devil says, by faith, nothing shall be impossible to him that believes. Remember Jesus said that to that father with the child that was dead? Most people say, well, they're dead. It's, you know, it's, it's done now. It's over with. Not Jesus. He said, fear not, only believe. Well, do you know, like, fear not and only believe should be applied to every faith situation in our lives? Because if we are in fear, we are preventing God from being able to act. We're responding to the things of the world. Remember when we defined faith uh, from even just what the dictionary says, Faith is a daring decision for God. In other words, faith is going beyond the natural. It's faith in spite of how things appear. 
Faith in spite of appearances. Remember Abraham? Staggered not at the promise of God, but was strong in faith. And one translation says, grew strong in faith by believing that God was able and by giving God glory. Why is that? Well, if you start to glorify God for something that to your little mind is impossible, but you're saying, I know you're a big God, and I know nothing's impossible for you, and I've even found this in your word, and so I just want to thank you. I want to thank you right now for this answer. Remember that lady was in the wheelchair. Brother Hagin went to minister to her, and before he let her attempt to walk, you know, she didn't see in the word. She didn't understand by whose stripes you were healed. She thought, I'm going to be when I feel like I am. When all of a sudden I feel strength in my, in my legs, then I'm going to get up and walk, right? So she's walking not by faith. She's walking by sight. She's walking by her feelings. As soon as she felt it, then she believed it's that way. Well, that's not the realm of God. God calls those things which be not as though they were. In other words, you don't see it, you can't feel it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, you can't touch it, but God says it is. He said to Abraham, the father of many nations, have I made you, when as yet there was no seed, there was no product. So somebody said, well, I can't do that, that'd be lying. Well, then God's lying. But God can't lie. So faith calls those things which be not as though they were. And um, within faith, within the substance that makes up faith or the elements that make up faith is suppressed temptation. In other words, that means if you are acting in faith, the very act of faith itself is pushing down a temptation that's coming or that is coming against you. I don't know if it's just because I'm a man or what, but like my default mental thinking, unrenewed mind, when I hear temptation, I think sexual, okay? But I'm not talking sexual, but it would include sexual. Suppressed temptation means the temptation to figure it out yourself, the temptation to agree with what the world says, the temptation to agree with what the devil says. So, of course, that would include, uh, include any kind of sexual, uh, uh, what do you call it, ungodly sexual temptation, right? In the context of marriage between a man and a woman, uh, it's godly, you know, like, anyhow, I don't want to go down that route. <laughs> but you know what I mean. But within the definition of faith, it contains this suppressing of temptation. What does that mean? You know how I always say, or many times I say, it's a turning away from self and what the world has to offer. In other words, that's a temptation to look there. What, is it, what does a temptation mean? That means it looks pretty good and you're going to want to do that. Right? You're like, oh, yeah, that looks good to me. Do you know what uh, an area that this kind of practically falls in? People are trying to figure out like, oh, what should I do? Where should I go? Um, should I go on this vacation? Should I not? You know, and maybe they're, they're praying about it or whatever. And um, then a lot of times people will just add up circumstances like, oh, this, 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 this. Oh, yeah, that means I'm supposed to go. 
Or, oh, no, that doesn't. Do you know in those situations, many times you will sense um, the leading of the Lord. But, but the more people, most of the time, the more people get involved and start to give input into that situation, the less you're really going to get the will of God. Because people will answer you with reason. You know, that Hagen almost died because of this, because the Lord called him uh, out to travel. And uh, well-meaning friends that were ministers said to him, you know, you need, to, you need to stay home, take care of your family. You need to do this. You need to do that. And he said, what they should have done is they should have said, I'll pray for you. He said, but they said all this stuff. And he said, so I followed their advice. And I almost died. His heart stopped, didn't beat. He supernaturally walked across uh, the room of the pastor's house and, uh, you know, made a consecration dedication. I'm going to do what you say. You know, he related that incident. He said, you know, I followed their advice and it almost killed me. And so uh, what was that? Well, he gave in to the temptation. He's like, I agree. That sounds real good but I have a little something in here. And he was kind of ignoring the little something in here. You know, he had a, uh, his wife, Mom Hagen, her name was Aretha, when uh, she had some health issues when she was younger. And uh, during all of that, he said, every time I'd go into prayer, I'd get in my prayer closet and I'd, I'd, I'd be praying. All of a sudden, I'd start to catch a glimpse of something uh, health-wise wrong with his wife and maybe her even dying young. But it scared him, so he didn't want to deal with it. So he was just kind of in prayer, just like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And, you know, I don't know if I want to go down that route, but anyhow. <laughs> um, it's very easy to override what the Spirit of God is saying with reason. You know, and maybe maybe somewhat easy to do it with flesh, but like normally, like what happens is your flesh and your unrenewed mind, which is the reason that I'm talking about, they kind of join in together. And you know, a lot of times, then with with the flesh involved, the devil will help accommodate you, and he'll say like, "Oh, this is good. You know, it's no problem." And uh, then all of a sudden, your perspective becomes skewed. It's like I talk about the funhouse, right? Well, you ever see those mirrors where it's a skinifying mirror? Is that a word? You go and you're like, whoa, look at that, you know? <laughs> or it like makes you big, like, whoa, look at that, you know? I can be a sumo wrestler. <laughs> it distorts reality. And the devil distorts reality. The Holy Ghost, he's the spirit of reality. Self yes. that you have sense of God and you can see things about yourself that you have never seen that need to be changed. But you know what? In the presence of God, it is never condemnation. You just see the clean and the pure and the perfect, and you see how far you are from that, and you say, I am not satisfied to live this way anymore. I want to be with that. The voice of condemnation is the voice of the devil, and it is the voice of your unrenewed mind. Don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit's not going to be involved in your sin. Right? Like, you'll be like, 
why do I feel like I'm out here all alone? Because the Holy Ghost is like shrinking back from that. Because <laughs> uh, he can't be involved in that. Praise the Lord. So faith contains within itself pushing back or turning away from temptation. That we're not turning into it and yielding to it. That's not an act of faith. That's an act of yielding to temptation. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, I just want that. You know, I think of it, maybe I should use like, uh, you know, I said, was it last week I talked about chocolate? Okay, well, man, I ate a lot of chocolate this week. <laughs> So by like Friday or Saturday, I'm like, you know, on the inside, I'm like, you maybe should not be eating so much. So I had to like slow down, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. And I didn't say it last week, but that's typically what I do is I try to, because I didn't want it to come out like, well, you're so spiritual. But I really do kind of like check if I have a check on the inside because I'm not exactly the heaviest person you've ever met. So a lot of people are like, must be nice. You can eat whatever you want. But you know what? If I eat too much sugar... All of a sudden, I'll start to get like a little bit of a headache or whatever. So I try to be led by the Spirit in what I eat. And uh, so uh, my flesh was leading me to eat more chocolate. But something on the inside was like, that's probably not the best idea. So anyhow, maybe that helps somebody. Maybe it just helped me. Maybe it's just my own confession that I'm following the Lord even in food. Faith is a complete, wholehearted, whole life, everything that makes you up, turning away from self-will. So you're turning away from all, well, well, I got to do this, and I have to know this, and I have to be involved in this, and I, 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 I. There is no I in faith. It's F-A-T-H. No, I'm kidding. F-A-I-T-H. I'm saying there's no I in faith, but not, not in the spelling of the word. Sometimes I let you in too much on how my little mind functions. Okay. So it says, faith is a radical attitude of desecularization. Well, I wasn't going to say that, but I thought I'll let you think about that for a second. It's a radical attitude of desecularization. Well, what is secular? Well, there's Christian and there's secular. Right? In other words, this is all the stuff that everything else has to offer. Yourself apart from God, other people apart from God, the devil, of course, he's apart from God. And so it's a surrender of anxiety. Remember we talked about fear? You cannot act in fear and faith at the same time. It's a surrender of anxiety and of self-confidence. And therefore, it means you're turning aside from the world. A surrender of anxiety, so all of your fears, all of your worries, all of these other things, you have to turn away from them. This is why people come up uh, for prayer uh, many times, or you see them personally, and people want prayer. But they have all these worries, and they don't want to like give up the worries. Well, there's no point for me to pray for you, because it's not going to do any good. Until you give your worries and your cares to God, uh, he can't do anything, because that's not an act of faith. Faith, I see faith like you got this rope, and you're like, I'm holding on to God with everything. I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to hook my engine to his, or my caboose, whatever, my freight car, to his engine, right? 
Praise the Lord. I have the mind of Christ. <laughs> but you have to surrender that anxiety. Some people like to live in anxiety. You ever heard of a hypochondriac? Like they kind of like to be sick and the attention they get when they're sick. Well, sometimes you like to worry. Like it makes you feel more in control when you're worrying. It's a big deception, but, but in the flesh it feels that way. Well, you have to release that and say, you know what? God is on my side. God has my back. God knows what's going on. He knows this situation more intricately than I could ever possibly know it. And it is a surrender of your self-confidence. Well, I have read the word this much. I have prayed this much. I know this, or I know this situation. I have a friend that's a was a paramedic for a long time, and healing to him was a big mystery for a long time. Why? He had much self-confidence because he was taught so much about the medical way to position bodies to be healed. Because anybody that's honest will tell you they don't heal, heal people. I mean, they may like cut you and connect things that help connect things like that, but they don't actually heal but he was so more acquainted with that, his mind was all on that, that he really had to renew his mind more with what the Word of God says concerning healing because you're just familiar with that. Like I, I give the example of I like to jog so my leg muscles are stronger, and if I climbed a mountain, I'd use my leg muscles if I'm climbing rock and stuff. Uh, but I would come to a place where I couldn't do much. Well, like he had strengthened that muscle concerning medical like, in other words, the first response to something was always medical, 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 medical. Well, if you need medicine, that's a good first response. In other words, if, if uh, uh, that hanger would always say, if you need medicine, you should take it. If you need an aspirin for a headache, you should take it. Man, there's so many messages, I'm just not going to get off on them. So you turn away from fear and anxiety you turn away from self-confidence. You know, you exchange that for God-confidence. And it therefore means you're turning away from the world. But you're still in the world. Now, instead of a man in the world, a woman in the world, functioning with the ability that natural life brings and natural life gives and natural human wisdom provides... Now you're a man or a woman functioning in the world with the very life of God and the very nature of God. That's why you can say, Jesus could say, and we could respond like, you know, if someone does evil, pray for them that despitefully use you. Right? That's an act of faith. Someone's talking about you and you do something for them to bless them, that's an act of faith. And so it's turning away from, I'm going to fix it, self-confidence. Uh, it's really just uh, turning away from yourself. And so, um, man, time flies when you're having fun. I'll just have to paraphrase this because of time. So remember over in Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14, the Hebrew children, Moses sent them out, 12 spies out to spy out the promised land. So this is a land that God had promised the nation of Israel. 
the Hebrew children. He had promised this to them. So this is something that he had declared and set aside for them. And so then before they go, they had to do something, right? So Moses sent spies into the land to check out the land. So 12 spies go and 12 spies come back. But then 10 of those 12 spies came back with, an, the Bible calls it, an evil report. It was full of doubt and unbelief. So they went to see what God said, this is the promised land for you. So they're looking at what God said, and they're saying, we are not able to possess the land. In other words, God said this is ours, but we're not able to receive it. Man, oh, I plead the blood of Jesus over the things that God has tried to get to me that I have not been able to receive. Because there's a whole lot more that he has for me that I have not been able to receive. Uh, Pastor Mark one time was having uh, dinner and Kenneth Copeland was sitting across the table from him and you know he was, uh, uh, I think he had a prop plane you know, to travel with, but he was uh, believing God for a jet plane. And uh, somebody had given him $500 in the service to sew uh, for that airplane. And so uh, he was eating dinner, and Pastor Mark loves to tell jokes and mess around and everything like that. And that would be his um, suppressed temptation that he needs to suppress a little more sometimes, okay? Just saying, I mean, I, I, I love him. <laughs> Father in the faith to me, right? But he would admit it, you know. <laughs> and so... He's holding up the $500, and he's like, Phew. he's like, oh, yeah, this, is, this won't even buy a tank of gas for the jet. Well, man, the Holy Ghost came on all over Kenneth Copeland, Brother Kenneth Copeland, and he picked up a uh, butter knife, because that's all he had. That's my butter knife. And he said, I don't remember what he said. <laughs> huh? He said something like, don't you take lightly the things of God, I have been trying to get a jet to you for five years, but you have but not been able to receive it. So he was like, oh. you know, Brother Copeland's a little bit uh, stern personality anyhow, right? So he's sitting across on the table like, you know. But you know, I bet there's a lot of stuff the Lord's been trying to get over to us, but it's not actually his ability to give, it's our capacity to receive. Think of healing. Healing is part of the redemptive work that Christ did already over 2,000 years ago. It's not God's ability, it's our ability to receive it. And if you cannot believe it, you're not going to receive it. You know, I give that story about a friend of mine that, uh, you know, asked me one time, like, well, how do you think healing's still today? I never see anybody get healed. And I said, do they pray for people to be healed in your church? And he said, hmm, no, they don't. And I said, well, then why would you expect to see it? These signs, Jesus said, will follow them that believe. In my name, they will exercise authority over the devil. In my name, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In my name, they will speak with new tongues, right? Them that what? Believe. There's nothing as strange as an unbelieving believer. Right? What does that mean? Well, you can have faith in one area and not another. In other words, you can turn away from all of the things you're trying to figure out and that you have figured out or that your friend has figured out or that the government has figured out in one area or that the medical people have figured out, but not in another area. Well, you can figure out 
All the things, maybe, maybe, maybe every time you pray to, uh, for healing, you're like, I declare I am healed in the name of Jesus. By his stripes, he healed me, he set me free. But then you can go to the financial realm and you can have no faith for finances. Why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, hearing by the word that God makes real to you. One of the best ways for God to make the word real to you is when you're renewing your mind, you're meditating on the word, you're chewing it, you're thinking on it. All of a sudden, you start to see like, whoa, what was that? And if you don't get distracted at that moment, you'll notice, uh, I don't know if I should use the example, Brother Hing used to use it like it's like drops from your head to your heart. Some people don't like that example, but I know what he means. It's like, you're kind of like, you start to see it, and all of a sudden, if you just continue to um, stay in that state of receptivity to the Spirit of God, all of a sudden, it's almost like a, a, a dimmer light bulb. Like, it's real dim. You saw this little dim thing. All of a sudden, the dimmer starts going brighter and brighter and brighter, and you're like, oh, I've never seen this before. From what the world knows, from its self-confidence. The world is very self-confident. They will tell you how awesome they are and how much they know. And unfortunately, in many cases, they're not happy unless you acknowledge that they know. But we're not going to do that because we are not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. I want to ask you a question this morning whether you're watching online or you're here in the auditorium, is your heart right? My grandmother, on my mother's side, her name was Violet. And, uh, you know, grandparents, I was blessed to have four grandparents and remember all of them, uh, you know, alive when I was alive. Got to spend time with them. I remember one thing she said to me. She said that there was a, a guy in her church when she was young, used to have an accent, and he would say to her when he would show up, he would say, Violet, how's everything with your soul? Every week. You know, Violet, how's everything with your soul? But he had an accent, so he would say, Violet, how's everything with your soul? So my question for you this morning, you know, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, is, is your heart right? What is the condition of your heart? You know, the Holy Spirit is an expert heart surgeon. You know, he can operate and do things that no man could do. You realize he operates with the Word. The Word's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. One translation says scalpel, dividing into the soul and the spirit. And so... I want to invite each of us just to examine our hearts. When the Holy Spirit is allowed to operate on you, he performs operations not in an hour or two, but in a flash. Like the twinkling of an eye. This changes everything. If you're struggling with, maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you are, but... You're living in sin. You're living below what the Lord wants you to. It's just for us to renounce and to confess and to acknowledge. Yeah, I've done that, but I'm giving it up. I'm turning the other way. I'm not going to live for myself any longer.
It could be something big or it could be something little. You know, from the outside, the Pharisees looked real good. They looked real religious. They looked real amazing. But on the inside, they were full of dead men's bones. They were nasty on the inside. Will you come to Christ? Will you take your cares, your worries, your anxieties, your self-confidence, your self-will, your desire for acknowledgement of the world, and will you bring it to the cross of Christ and leave it there? Back to where you, if you're not born again, he'll give you a new heart. And you'll go back to where you came from. You'll go back to your job. You'll go back to your house. You'll go back to your family. You'll go back to the same responsibilities. But you will go back a new person in Christ Jesus with a new life, with a new ability, with a new anointing that only God himself could give. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you'd like a change in your heart, change in your life. I'd love to pray for you. I want you to slip up your hand. I want to pray with you, and I want to pray for you. If you're watching online, don't let another moment go by. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time. This is the day. You don't know that you have tomorrow. You could slip away into eternity, and if you slip away into eternity and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's will for you is to be part of his family, to spend eternity with him in heaven to live a life full of abundance, full of hope, full of health, full of joy, full of blessing. But he will not force that on you. We have to respond and we have to turn away from ourselves. So if that's you, just slip up your hand or email us. i love to pray with you and pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit. Father, I pray that your word would be an ever-present presence with us as we go, that you give us spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you so that we acknowledge you in all things and in all of our ways and that you direct our path. Father, I thank you for your plan for us, for your plan for each and every one of our lives. We thank you for the blood of Jesus and for your protecting power that no accident overtakes us and no evil befalls us that we walk day in and day out in your plan for our lives and your purpose for our lives, yielded to your spirit and giving out your love that you have given us to all of those that we come in contact with. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.